pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Good morning, folks. Happy Tuesday. Reporting live from Marco Simone, Italy, just outside of Rome. I am sitting right next to Sean Zock, which does not happen anymore as much as we would like it to. If he sounds particularly angry to start the podcast, it's because I've been trying to get my microphone connection to work for about the last hour. So, fingers crossed, we've got it in a good stable spot. Um, just borrowed Dan Rappaport, so hopefully that's going to be a little bit better. Sean, how are you feeling? I'm not angry. I'm just bored, waiting for you to get ready, uh, and waiting for you to tell people about Nikon, Dylan. I'm glad you asked. Uh, there's a lot of rangefinder. A lot of laser shooting happening right now on the golf course. And I would like to tell some of these caddies also about the the uh, latest rangefinder that's entered my golf bag. And that is the CoolShot Pro 2 Stabilized Rangefinder from Nikon. Nikon's high-performance stabilization system is designed to reduce vibrations of the image in the viewfinder, Sean, which can be caused by, you know... A little bit of a shaky hand movement. This technology provides a more precise reading and gives the user more confidence in their game. I can attest that that's true. Ever since this thing entered my bag, it uh, you know, it just locks right in on the pin. It works really well. Um, I think it's sometimes you can think all rangefinders are the same, but I will tell you, I had a crappy one, and now I have this one, and uh, it's a world of difference. And people get fifty dollars off too. They get $50 off. Cannot stress this enough, Sean. If you go to NikonUSA.com slash golf, you get $50 off right now. But it will, now, last, it will not last forever, only until October 8th. So go to NikonUSA.com slash golf. A week, and a week and a half, folks. A week and a half. Get dialed in. Uh, Dylan, it's good to see you, buddy. We're here in Rome. My first time to Italy. Not your first time, but uh, I did the Coliseum yesterday. I feel like I, I checked the top box on the tourism checklist um, and then had pasta and checked the second box maybe on the tourism bucket list. And then I had more pasta. And last week I had some gelato. And so I feel like I'm doing everything that you're supposed to do when you come to this part of the world. I think that we should just give people a quick rundown of kind of how it's all working from a logistics perspective. Um, sorry if this is not interesting, but just to like situate you to where we are, where the players are, where everyone's staying. Uh, Marco Simone is east of Rome and it is without traffic from Rome, probably what half an hour, Yeah, 28 minutes or so. But without traffic is not a world in which we exist. And I don't think it's a world in which we will exist this weekend. Uh, already, I was seeing that there are some police escorts happening. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a bunch more once play starts. Because, look, everyone wants to be here for that first tee shot on Friday. That could be a bit of a zoo. But, Sean, we are not staying in Rome. No. Where are we staying? We're walkable. I, I went for a run last night, and I ran down to the Ryder Cup. That was pretty cool. Um, so we'll be 
We'll be we'll have no traffic issues. Team Europe already had to get a police escort to make it to their photo shoot this morning. Mm. So that's just kind of like synonymous with the Ryder Cup at this point. Rory had a police escort at Medina. They were doing police escorts at Whistling Straits. They're doing the exact same thing here this week. The Ryder Cup is is brimming. It is filling to its brim of like what it's capable of being, and uh, something sometime is going to push it over the edge. Someone's going to be late for something. And we're going to have to rethink how we do this whole thing. But um, our biggest logistical challenge, Sean, our limiting factor could be eating dinner. I'm a little concerned about our options. Um, if we are riding late, which is pretty likely on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, there's, it's just kind of a small town out here. Yeah. So I don't know. It is cute countryside, you know, when I went for that run. Uh, just looking out in the distance, the sun is setting. There's like this classic one house in the field out in the distance. It looks like what you would think Italy, uh, Italy to look like. So anyway, enough about that BS. Let's let's dive into kind of what we've learned so let's far. Let's dive in. You've, yeah, yeah. You've seen the golf course. Everyone's going to talk about the golf course. The players are going to talk about the golf course. Media are going to rip on the golf course. Can you give me some rip more? Rip on it, you think? I think, yeah. And generally, people think, like, why did we take this event to Italy? Why did we go to this golf course? Can you kind of, like, tell people what makes sense about it, maybe what doesn't make sense about okay. it? Okay, I mean, from a larger, you know, if you zoom out a little bit, why are we here? I think we're here because we, we are in close proximity to Rome. I mean, the fact that there are fans coming from around the world to come to this Ryder Cup in particular, I think that that is directly related to it being near Rome. I think that the corporate sponsors that are involved, I think that that's a lot easier because of the proximity to Rome. I think that, you know, we really think of these events being at old school places. I don't know, the Belfry or Wentworth or places in, in the British Isles. Um, but there's been a desire, clearly, to get something near Paris, to get something near Rome. And so that's kind of what we're doing here. And then Marco Simone, I'm trying to figure out how to like contextualize the golf course. Um, because it's not, it's definitely nice, and it's definitely an, an interesting golf course. And we'll get into a couple specifics about that. But you don't step onto it. It does not inspire awe in the way... Uh, certain links courses would and the way major championship hosts would like it's a little bit rougher around the edges it is yeah it's it's just a little bit of a different feel but man i got up on the like 11th 12th 13th holes this morning and there's some old like villas behind the greens and you're just looking out on the italian landscape and you're out in the countryside and it was like okay this is pretty beautiful up here yeah, it's a little quirky. It's a little funky. Uh, they're they're chopping up the rough. Victor Hovland's not sure what to make of it all, but I think we are in for what should be a terrific Ryder Cup, regardless. I, the only danger for me is that we we really haven't brought the Ryder Cup to places that <laughs> haven't deserved it in the past. Like Whistling Straits has hosted multiple major championships. Medina has hosted multiple major championships. The next Ryder Cup, Beth Page Black, multiple major championships. Uh, Glen Eagles has hosted major championships. Now, we did bring it to a new golf course outside of Paris, Le Golf National, but that's going to end up hosting the Olympics next year. Um, this has just hosted the last three Italian Opens. And so 
I guess what I what I started by saying is like the only danger I see is that the co- the course becomes a major headline, becomes a major storyline, and that's not what you want at a Ryder Cup. You want the Ryder Cup to be about the golf shots, the matches that flip on the 18th hole. Um, I guess the the crazy putts that drop that you know send teams charging onto the green, and if the course in some way lets everybody down that would put a slight dent into what we'll remember here. Yeah. So I, I think that I think that the greatest risk to the golf course is more from like architectural purists. Mm. And there are some golfers in the field here that definitely are guys that think about golf course architecture. There's guys that are that will not be above ripping on it if they don't like it. So I'm interested to see if we get some of that. But I do think that there is one reason that the course will be in focus that I actually think will make for very exciting golf so just kind of wanted to run through that and sean like if you think of a standard basic golf hole like the the golf hole that there are the most of on the pga tour i think it's something like a 430 yard par four right Mm -hmm. it's like just a standard like you know 410 to 440 and this golf course has basically none of them (laughs) <laughs> it has a look, yeah, number one, 445 uphill, number three, 453, um, and then number six is 381. But by and large, you do not have traditional two shot driver mid iron par fours out here. You've got really long par fours, you've got really short par fours, so and then you've got par threes and par fives like there are going to be a lot of half par holes out here which makes for very interesting match play uh you've got a handful of par fours that are over 500 yards uh you've got a handful not a handful but you've got a few that are drivable so number three or number five is 302 yards number 11 is 329 yards number 16 is 303 yards downhill bends left to right over water that's going to be a really dramatic finish and then uh number 18 it's going to be a par 5 600 yards but downhill it's going to be reachable for everybody you're going to see a lot of fireworks you're going to see a lot of eagle opportunities volatility you're going to see a lot of volatility you're going to see pars winning a lot of holes too so that's kind of the i'm excited for the golf course because of that because it's going to give us a lot of intrigue having just attended and covered the solheim cup which was fantastic. Yeah, I do um, want to get a quick thought on you about about the Solheim at the end. Well, it's just it was a it was a good reminder um, of kind of what you're just saying. It can get very boring watching match play golf, especially in foursomes, where there's not a lot of volatility, with just a lot of pars being made. Um, and I think there was a stretch of the golf course in Spain in the very middle that was like that. There wasn't a ton of volatility. We saw some matches go six seven holes without any holes being won mm, yeah it doesn't sound like this is going to be that well, kind of yeah the solheim it was front loaded with par fives right yeah they had a, several par fives and then there was a stretch where you just didn't have any until yeah. the 18th yeah um i just don't think that's going to be the case i think where it can get boring is when you're seeing the same shot it feels like yeah you hit a drive and you hit uh a mid iron and then it's like okay is the guy going to make a 15 footer or is he not yeah, or they're here, playing to the same parts of each hole, right? Sure. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of, you know, it was a very hilly golf course in Spain, just like this one, uh, a lot of side hills where you kind of hit it up into the fairway and it both rolls down to the back spot. No matter if you've hit a big slice, a big cut, uh, you know, a straight ball or whatever, 
you end up having a lot of the same approach shots. And so it's more of a par three contest than anything. So um, the Solheim Cup was great for the record. It ended in a 14-14 tie, which means the Europeans retained it. Uh, if that happens here this week, the Americans will retain, which would be a very different, interesting story in its own right. Uh, unlikely to happen, but uh, would be tasty if it does. Uh, I maintain that Europe is going to hold on to both cups after these two weeks have gone by. I'm one for one. We'll see if I go two for two. We will um, see. Look uh, at there's Drew Stoltz and Colt Nost walking by outside. Part of our sister podcast <laughs> over at Subpar. Cousin podcast. Uh, we want to talk about the Ryder Cup in a couple different ways. Um, now that we are here, um, Dylan, one that's really goofy that I just want to get out of the way because I think you, your imagination might, oh, run, yeah. might run with it is if these two teams could make a trade, what those trades might look like. Now, we know the 12 guys on each side, um, but do we know like what they'd be willing to give up in exchange for something else that would help them get closer to winning? And my whole thought was, would the U.S. give up Xander Shoffley if they could get Tyrrell Hatton and Matt Fitzpatrick in return plus one point on the board? Whoa. The one point on the board is a game-changer. So Tyrrell Hatton... Number eleven, according to, in the world, according to Data Golf, yep. Fitzpatrick, number seventeen, would really kind of bolster a little bit of America, like to give up one Xander, who's a top five player in the world, but to get two that you know you can trot out there, plus to get one point on the board, which is absolutely massive. You get whatever seven percent of the way towards your winning score. Um, I think Europe would do it because they really want to have horses that can go out there and play five matches. Can, yeah. pl- can really like they can keep oh, Rob y- McIntyre y- yeah. from having to play. They they'd surrender that point. They surrender a little bit of their depth, and in exchange, they would have to promote someone. Then you could just promote the other Hoygaard brother and make <laughs> make Nikolai very more comfortable. Uh, Adrian Moronk yeah. just left out in the cold yet yeah, again. Yeah, but like Rasmus Hoygaard would pair up with his brother Nikolai, and. You kind of make those kids comfortable. You give up the point, but you get a Xander in return. Your team undoubtedly gets stronger getting Xander and giving away those two guys because, it, look, this is like it's like fantasy football or something. You don't want to be giving up the best guy in the trade. Xander Shoffley would be the best guy in yeah. that trade. Matt Fitzpatrick, look, I hope that he, this is the week he proves it, but our guy does not have – has not put any points on the board in, in the Ryder, Ryder Cup Cups. yet. Yeah. Um, who so, says no, Dylan? That's my. Th- that's the question. All right, I think that ultimately, I think ultimately Europe says no because the point is just such a sure thing. Sure. It's the only sure thing. If it's a half point, would they do it? Yes, I think so. All I right. think that's the difference for me. You got it. That's why you you posed a nice question because it's right on that razor's edge. <laughs> where if it's a half point, I'll do it. If it's a full point, no. All right. Any other trades we could dream up? Maybe. Um. Well. I guess my question is just like, who do you think is the highest value asset? Where if you just if they could be turned, uh, Scotty Scheffler. Do you think he? Do you feel that way this week? Yeah, with the putting. I think being it's such a question he's mark. He's been the best player all year long. He really. I mean, he has he's had been, no bad bad stretches. He's all been year an long. exceptional player. Rory had a bad stretch in April and May. Victor Hovland was slow to get going. John Rahm was so hot and then kind of slowed down in the middle of the summer. A lot of guys have had their their valleys. Scotty has had none, like truly none. 
So he's the best. He's the All best right, player. All right. So if you're Team Europe and you now it's not quite a trade, but you just have the option. It's like, hey, you can just you can steal a player from the U.S. team. You're taking Scotty this week. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And what if you are the U.S. and you get to steal a, a player from Europe? Who would mesh best with Team USA? It's probably Rory. He's like very close with. Uh, I don't know if very close with all these guys, but he definitely is boys with JT. Uh, is friendly of sorts with everybody else. Brooks Kepka, you know, there is the kind of bromance that they have re maybe not ignited, but their friendship has. Uh, yeah, been that one would of the be things that tied the two warring tours together. That would probably be a pretty effective team. I think they could bring something pretty strong out in like each if other. They were a, if they were uh, like a foursomes pair. So you'd take Rory over Hovland. Absolutely. All right. It's settled. Uh, all right. Well, now that I got that trade talk out of here, <laughs> uh, we want to talk about things that we like that favor either side. And I, I think we want, need to talk this way, have to talk this way, because it's you get inundated with a lot of the same um, talking points from both sides. Like, oh, I'll do whatever captain tells me to do. Oh, you know, just happy to be a part of a team. Oh, it's fun to play for your country, uh, you know. This isn't a stroke play. I, we, we put all the, the trophies aside. We're really playing for each other. All that stuff is just talking points, and we get it at every Ryder Cup from either team. But we want to actually share some things that we think are benefits, beneficial to each side. Um, if you have any in mind, I'll let you lead off, but I've got six, three for each side. Nice. Well, I guess one just to start off doesn't well it does and doesn't have to do with the the golf course and the setup this week but i would say the fact that the european team has been playing golf has the potential to uh work to their advantage the u.s side with a few exceptions just has not really played since the tour championship justin thomas and max homa played at the fortinet yep uh which i think was encouraging for both of them but yeah these guys just have not played a ton of golf like when we saw scotty scheffler on the putting green yesterday he was working with phil kenyon he had a new putter grip um it just looked like he was not starting from scratch but it just looked like okay this is some (laughs) stuff that we haven't really seen and now he's going to put it into play during a really important week uh so that feels like an advantage and specifically that the european team has been playing in europe yeah the amount that they've been playing uh they all played together i kind of basically I said that that's something I like that favors Europe is they already seem to be having the most fun. And I think if you look at this roster of Americans, so many of them hail from California or live in uh, proximity to each other in Florida. And I actually think the American team might be closer as friends than the European team. But I don't think that that necessarily means that they are close as close right now. I think the trend throughout the month of September has been pulling the European team closer together. All of them coming uh, a week ago to visit Rome and to play this course together, all 12 of them. All 12 of them then going to Wentworth and playing that tournament together. Playing golf in Europe. A lot of these guys played the Irish Open together. And um, I just I, they, do, they do the Hero Cup thing in January. They kind of just start this process of, look, we're not going to be at each other's side 12 months out of the year but when we need to be 
it's going to be great. It just I feel like in the photos they're smiling. It just, the Americans it just feels like it feels like a little bit like okay, it's a personality we're a type thing, right? Here. We're a little, a little worried like with how we're going to perform because there's more pressure on us from the media. There's more pressure on us from history. And like it just feels like the European team is smiley. I think you're right. It's a little hard to put your finger on specifically. Like, I do think the U.S. guys are having fun, and I do think that there's groups in them that really like hanging out with each other, but they're also just a little more, I don't know, a little more type A, a little a little more individualistic probably. If you look down the list, like, a lot of those guys do like to do their own thing. As much as they like hanging out with other people on the team, as much as – but, you know, you just don't see – if Brooks Kepka is going to choose a ping pong teammate, who's he choosing? If Brooks wants to like to to go somewhere with someone on his team, yeah. and like yeah, I don't know. who's he who's he saying? Yeah, come on, come on up, Wyndham Clark. Yikes! He's just going to call Rory. <laughs> Rory, you're in town, right? I don't know. I think it's just a, those dynamics are really hard to contextualize, and. Um, it, I think it's just striking that for a, a, such an individual sport, Europe, and for something that we so focus on, it still feels like Europe is going to have that advantage. Even though these guys, yeah, I guess a lot of them have spent a lot of time together, but there's some new entrants too, like Ludwig Aberg. We're going to get a better pronunciation. I believe it's like Auberge. Yeah. Is that right? But he introduces himself as Aberg. Anyway, he so. like he's obviously new... Nikolai Hoygaard is obviously new. Bob McIntyre knows some of these guys better than others, etc. But there's, there is still a holdover element of camaraderie that exists on that European side that is just hard to fake, yeah. no matter how hard you try. Yeah, they really feel a part of something. And look, all the promotion, the marketing, uh, everything it it takes on like a very much. You are a part of this thing. This is an honor, man. Do not look over this. Do not take this for granted and i think almost the the whole like live golf thing has shown how many people could take this event for granted and then everyone who is here now never once took this for granted except for maybe brooks committing to live and putting this up in you know into question i think that there's an interesting manifestation of this whole uh difference in personalities in the way that the u.s team has these really established pairings where so it feels like there are there are little sub blocks, even if there aren't specific pods, there's still these little blocks that exist within the U S team. You will see Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley. Like you see those guys every week, they play together every single Tuesday practice round at every single PGA tour event, Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler. They are each other's best friends on tour and, uh, they will play together. Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas don't even have to tell you, they, they've been friends for a while. They will play together. Uh, Max Homa and Colin Morikawa, they've played together on the PGA Tour and uh, the Zurich. They've played team events, etc. These units exist in a way that they don't really exist on the European side. Yeah, we're going to see some guys play two or three matches together for Europe, but there is much more of a sense that, yeah, let's just... let's toss these guys together any of them could go with anyone yeah. and 
the U.S., there's just always been more. You even think back to like Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed, and there's just a little more. There's more danger in setting more people partner up with drama. randomness. Yeah. Um, the thing that I like that favors America. One of the things is ZJ is taking a very less is more approach, which is something you do maybe when you aren't sure about certain pairings um, and and the the meshing of the team. He he basically is like, look, the pod system is really good. We're taking kind of a, a corner of that that we really like. And um, he was asked today, hey, like, have you reached out to any other coaches, you know, uh, in across the sports world that you really trust or anyone for advice on kind of how to be the leader of a team? And he's like, yeah, you know, I've, I've definitely learned some things from people, but I'm kind of like, I'm a little anxious about passing a lot of that stuff on to my players because, like, they're just not used to hearing that all the time from uh, from certain sources about their golf game. And so he doesn't want to distract them in any way. He want, he's, like, very careful about his inputs that he's putting in front of these guys, be that their uniforms, be that, you know, the food they're eating. He's very careful about what they're actually going to be experiencing as part of the Ryder Cup, as the player part of it, and... I think that less is more approach is exactly what Steve Stricker did to perfection at Whistling Straits. He had the better team. There's a reason that the Americans are favorites, and I think that would be my next reason why I like I I, I favor the USA is because you are on paper the better players, and that hasn't always boded well here. But if that's something that can help you uh, confidence-wise, be like, no, yeah, that's right. I am ranked higher than this guy in the world. Bob McIntyre, you think he's going to send out and beat me? I'm better than him. I think that is a ve- that really speaks to the American golfer psyche, almost the American uh, dominance psyche. And so I think that Zach Johnson's kind of playing into that. Like, no, we're, we're pretty damn confident with our team. I don't have to do anything to them. I just need to put them in a position to let them succeed, and then they're going to succeed. Yeah, I think that's been a response the last few years to I think the players feel a little bit more empowered. Like, yeah, look, we should still be going through our individual routines, even though there's all these team obligations. I think that players and team organizers can sometimes clash about that stuff, and I'm sure there's some of that still this week. But it's just different preparing for this event than it is preparing for an individual stroke play event. Um, what else you got on your list, John? Uh, obvious Home crowd, I think that matters. Uh, I saw it at the Solheim Cup. You you just didn't have a – you had plenty of American fans there, but there would be moments where Rose Zhang would hit a shot into – like I saw one at the 11th hole, and she hit it to like, I don't know, 12 feet. It was a really good shot downhill, banking it off of like this side hill. And up at the green – the only person that was cheering was Morgan Pressel. Like she wow. like she like lit her hands up in the air. Yeah, it's really really good shot. Um, that of course people will clap for it, but it felt like the American captains at the Solheim Cup had to cheer extra loud and extra hard to be like, hey, you're not alone out there. And I'll tell you who felt alone at the last Ryder Cup would be guys like John Rahm and Victor Hovland who would make a four or five footer and no one was clapping. Not only that, they would feel alone. It was sort of compounded by the fact that the, their teammates weren't doing well. So it's just a really, 
Yeah. Like you're doing this stuff in isolation. And that, so the rest of your team does maybe matter. doesn't feed off of it as well. It does matter. So the Americans have the va- the uh, advantage in that they only need to reach 14, not 14 and a half. But the Europeans have the advantage in like they are playing at home and their crowd is going to go berserk on the first hole. Um, and it's again, it's hard to quantify, but it does matter. Um, I think one thing that I, th- I think will favor the USA is that this course does not necessarily favor one team or the other. Um, it's been compared to Valhalla mixed with Liberty National. Um, it, of course, could favor the Europeans because more of them have played this place in competition. But in Ryder Cup's past, like we saw in Paris, that course was set up and extremely fit to favor European players. Players that, like Tommy Fleetwood, Frankie Molinari, do not dominate off the tee, but they are straight ball hitters. They are great ball strikers. Uh, tough par threes We're going to, I don't know, elevate their game more than the drivable par four. Um, and so I think that benefits the Americans because – if anyone's going to get lost out here, it'll be the person who's wayward off the tee, and there's enough of those guys on each, uh, on each team. Yeah, that is the – traditionally, yeah, you think, okay, let's just make it as tight as possible, rough as long as possible. That will favor Europe. Statistically, that's not really the case this year. I think that, you know, you look at someone like Nikolai Hoygaard, who is – crushes it. Uh, but is also kind of wild off the tee. Ironically, has played well here. I think one thing that would seem to advantage Europe is just that this is a little bit more the style of courses that uh, they play on the DP World Tour. I was just talking to Dan Rappaport about this and a couple of the players out on the course. It's, it, it, it has a little bit of a feel that's different from a PGA Tour venue. Um, a little bit funkier, I guess. Uh, a little rougher around the edges. Some stuff that's hard to quantify, but just not the kind of stuff that PGA Tour players see week yeah. in, week out. The thing is, though, most of the guys that are playing for Europe play on the PGA Tour. Mm. Like, there's only a few guys that are playing most of their golf in Europe. So that even that may not be as big an advantage as you would think at first. Uh, the last thing I have that would maybe favor one of these teams um, that I like is just Ludwig Aberg. I think he, we said it weeks ago, he's an asset that no one was considering two months ago. And uh, I don't know who he's going to play with, but he might be the best driver in the event (laughs) of the golf ball, right? Roy McIlroy might be the best driver in the history of the PGA Tour, but, I mean, he, he might not stack up literally against Ludwig this week. And at a course that driving... Errantly can really get you into trouble. Driving perfectly can put you into some real great scoring positions. If he has a week, that is a wild card that no one was really considering not too long ago. And it is a boost. It has to be a boost to anyone who is, like, really in this European camp. Because a year ago, things were looking pretty dire. Two years ago at Whistling Straits, things were like, holy cow, what do we got to do? And they've they've made a ton of positive moves towards actually making this one hell of a Ryder Cup. Yeah, I guess that's another thing that just favors Europe is that... Momentum. Well, momentum, and then just, like, this skill composition of their team. It it was... This is as... This is as even as they've been with the U.S. team in, like, in terms of head-to-head skill. In years. In 
my golfing memory, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, they're Absolutely. just basically neck and neck. I mean, Data Golf has this breakdown of, okay, how likely are you to win the cup? And the U.S. has finally dropped below 50% chance that they will win. There's still slightly, you know, there's a little vig in there for the tie. So the U.S. is still favored over Europe. But they're basically saying, look, it's a coin, a true coin toss. Yeah. No advantage. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, when you add that to the other things we've discussed, the home game, all that stuff, uh, that's why I've been saying I think it's going to be the best Ryder Cup we've seen in maybe in 25, 30 years. And you're going to see a lot of you're going to see a lot of scrambling. You're going to see guys' creativity really tested. I guess I haven't fully formulated who this advantage is specifically, but I think that the result of what we were talking about before, the fact that guys are going to be around greens on short par fours, they're yep. going to be around greens on, on par fives, and they're also going to be getting up and down on these long par fours. Oh, boy, we're really getting the beats starting to drop in the background here. Hopefully you can hear it. But anyway, I think that there are going to be a lot of shots from, you know, 30 yards and in. Yeah, probably from some awkward lies, probably having to do with some aggressive plays. And then match play exacerbates the fact that, yeah, you're going to probably try to pull some stuff off. So probably favoring guys like Justin, Justin Thomas, Thomas drop, Shane, zone in, Shane Lowry. drop zone endorsing Justin Thomas, I believe, officially. Oh, yeah. He's got our, our, our stamp of approval. Uh, Shane Lowry, though. Short game magician, wedge yes. boy. Um, anyone else that kind of jumps off the page on that department? Ricky Fowler's always been filthy from bunkers. Um, Jordan Spieth, right? Jordan Spieth, you would think. Dude. Yeah, it's not. I mean, because that speaks to a few different skill sets, but it also speaks to just like people that it speaks to personality traits, people that are comfortable Who's being uncomfortable. Thrive. Yeah. And uh, I think Spieth would fit right there. Absolutely. Um, well, we just named two guys who are going to play together, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. They could really, really thrive this week. But yeah, it's just a, a couple years ago that would be super obvious chalk play. And now I just think, hey, don't forget about those guys. All right. Well, that's 33 minutes in. Dylan, is there anything you really wanted to do before we wrap up? Yeah, I wanted to run through a quick thought experiment that um, inspired by Bryson DeChambeau's victory at the Live event in Chicago this past weekend. Is that it? Is that the only thing that inspires us? Sahith Thigala winning the Fortinet, Any, I would add. Anything else? Um, you know, Lucas Glover. <laughs> no. Keegan Bradley being left out in the yeah, cold. Yeah, you want to put Keegan on a team. You want to make him feel better. I was just talking to his aunt the I other day. So. Pat Bradley. Yeah. Former Solheim Cup captain. Uh, she was out following along in the groups uh cheering for team usa in spain um i did not bring up the topic of keegan it just feels like a kind of a, a tough thing for the whole family to deal with right now but anyway you want to get him on a team i so just really wanted team. to uh, look we talk about team usa's depth we talk about oh should these live guys have been considered more seriously i was wondering okay what would it look like if you took 12 guys that are not not on the team at all right now you just started fresh. What that number team would thirteen? Look like. What does that team look like? And how often does they, if they play a hundred Ryder Cup matches, this B squad versus the USA's A squad? How many does the B squad win? And so I will so read. This is you, just America versus America. This is though. just yeah. This is just Dylan. Dylan's twelve. Next guys. 
Uh, Russell Henley. Well, let's start with the first two guys off, I guess. So Keegan Bradley and Cameron Young are uh, the two guys that were probably most closely considered for the Ryder Cup team that were left off. Tagala wins his way on. That's a pretty strong start, like those two. Uh, Yeah. Bryson wins his way on. Bryson, both in strong form. Like, Bryson has had a pretty strong summer, and if he finishes, even if his Open Championship is like a top 10 instead of T60, then I think he gets more buzz. Obviously, this win was not going to be ever considered for the Ryder Cup because it happened right before the Ryder Cup. Uh, Then you have... That's four guys. Russell Henley played some of the most consistent golf of anyone in the world this summer and probably should have gotten more Ryder Cup buzz. Dustin Johnson. That's six. Got five points at the last Ryder Cup. He's (laughs) a lot of points. The winningest PGA Tour player of his generation. He's, yeah, he's a very obvious member of this team. Patrick Reed on that team, Captain America? He sure is. Sure is. That's seven. And you look around this course, I mean, Patrick Reed was horrible at Le Golf National, but when you look at this course and you look at what it takes to play well here, I mean, he seems like a pretty yeah, natural fit. Absolutely. So he's on the squad. Tony Finau. Finau. Who uh, just didn't That's do enough eight, this year. But former Ryder Cupper in multiple scenarios. He's played, He's yes. he's got a good Ryder Cup record. Um, and still like a guy that you look around and you're like, yeah, I'm had, glad to have him on my team. Lucas right. Glover, Sean. You're bringing Lucas because you think he probably played his way on. Absolutely deserving. deserving. He, <laughs> look, if nine. he can't make it on the B squad, then that yeah. is a true snub town. He's just an old at that point. Taylor Gooch, is he playing as another live guy getting yeah. on this team? Taylor Gooch is my next guy on the squad. Um, That's a 10. Three wins. Really bizarre like resume this year. But three wins means that when he's hot, he's really hot. I'm, so I'm going to just make guesses about where you're going to go. I think you're going to get him. Two. I think you're going to get both of them. I think you're going to choose Denny McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, best year of golf of his life. Best putter in the world, I think. He holds that title, does he and not? If, if Denny McCarthy does not get hurt, it's a huge what if that I'm sure literally no one will be talking about. But he could be here right now if he doesn't get hurt this summer. And then the last one I've got for you is not Andrew Putnam. It's not Putnam to you. Putnam. That's my neighbor in it's Seattle. Not Adam Schenk. It's not Brendan Todd. It's not JJ Spawn. It's not Steve Stricker, and it's also not Eric Cole or JT Poston. I think you're going with Harris English. Wow. I've got the postman. Oh, okay. Delivers on time, Sean. Yeah. You know what? We got rid of Ian Poulter in the Ryder Cup. We got a new postman. His name is JT Poston. All right. I'll it's accept a, that. How many, how many cups do they win out of 100 against the U.S. team? Against the U.S. team? Henley, Thigala, Bradley, DeChambeau, Young, Johnson, Finau, Reed, Glover, Gooch, McCarthy, Poston. I think they probably win 25 out of 100. That's pretty good. One yeah. Out of, one out of every four. You're counting on basically the live guys being undervalued in the in the system, which yeah, I would say Cam is Young probably true. undervalued. The Gala undervalued. Keegan was clearly undervalued. You like, got a few dogs. On there's this a reason. Team. There's a reason why that there was controversy about the yeah. end of the American picks is because, you know what. Brooks Kepka is not one of the top five live guys right now. He's not. Wow. Or maybe he's not. He's not I mean, one of the top four. I mean, he is, to be clear. Like, 
But if you're but ranking, he hasn't been he hasn't been playing them. that way the last couple months. If you're ranking them right now as Data Golf does, they go Bryson, DJ, uh, Gooch, and Reed above Brooks. Yeah, but I, I think that Data Golf has always struggled to completely understand and quantify Brooks Kepka's place in the world. So you know what? That's fine, but I think Brooks has too. <laughs> Fair. Um, so yeah, <laughs> the that's real question my squad. is how many, the, for how doing many, that how many times that B squad would beat Europe because they would have a better chance of doing so. They would statistically. They would theoretically, especially in a not by a lot, but maybe they win one out of every three cups. That that might still be pushing it. This is definitely a crew that would play pretty well in like just a standard PGA Tour venue. Also, <laughs> yeah, the Ryder Cup that gets brought to uh, like your TPC Russell Scottsdale. It's not necessarily a major killing squad, but yeah, if you go to Rocket Mortgage, yeah. these guys are maybe going to get the job done. Des Moines, Des Moines, Quad sure. <laughs> the Heartland. Um, yeah, what else do you got? Uh, I was just wondering if we could, before my computer dies, thanks to your audio struggles, just like quick top five guys with the most to earn this week. How much? Who has the most to benefit from this this tournament? Okay. Justin Thomas feels to me like an obvious one. I don't want to choose like the best players though, because no, I mean, well, he's 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 not measurably one of the best players right now. So I think he is very much right there. I think I think to answer this question you're kind of looking at okay, who who is currently off the radar or a kind of their yeah. stock is down. And I kind of think as much as Ricky Fowler feels like he's been back, he still has not not at one of these tournaments. He still has not done it here on this stage. I think people are going to remember like Oh yeah, Ricky Fowler is now one of the best American golfers. I was going to say American golfers in the world. <laughs> he's one of the best <laughs> golfers in the world. He's one of the best Americans. So you think he's going to play well? If he has a well. big week, then well, no, I just think he has the oh. opportunity to. Sure. Really yeah, I think he'll play himself solidly. As I'm, I'm actually back. Look out for me next year. Totally. Yeah, and then I think if you look at the European team, you have a chance to to crown some unknowns. I mean, Ludwig definitely. Like, if, he's, if he and Victor Hovland are playing together, Vic has been, like, kind of the it guy the yeah. last couple months. Yep. Everyone is, like, number one, this guy's incredible. Number two, he kind of seems like the man. Yeah. Um, so the two of them Team together, Scandinavia. Scandinavian killers, like, that's going to be pretty sweet. And uh, who else has the Justin most Justin Rose has a chance. He to, has a lot to gain. He has a ton to gain because if he plays well, is a veteran influence that helps, I don't know, be the transition again. Yeah, like that's we a keep great talking about call. this team as one in transition from the Stenson Poulter Garcia Westwood days. Rose is part of that group. We don't know who the next European captain will be. It might be Thomas Bjorn again. It might be Luke Donald again. But also could be Justin Rose. I don't think he's inclined to take that position quite yet. Yeah. But maybe it's not the next captain, but it's the one after that. The next one back in Europe, right? Maybe he's, maybe he gets chosen to be that captain instead of Graham McDowell because a lot of the, the people that would be taking that role have a little bit of the stench of live golf on them. And that is going to linger for a little while. And this could be Rosie's chance to kind of supplant them and become a captain at age 47 and, and, I don't know, lead basically the people that are on this team right now, probably then. 
And then I think the the person that has a lot to gain but also a lot to lose is Rory McIlroy because much is expected and there are people that feel strongly in both directions about Rory. He has far more fans than he has haters, uh, but there are both. And, and, you know, the fact that he didn't play well at the last Ryder Cup puts a little more pressure. The fact that he hasn't won a major, I guess, still allows people to dog on his record a little bit, even though he's clearly one of the two or three best golfers in the world. So, yeah, I think for, for Rory's sake, it'd be nice for him to have a good week. The last person that we will talk about, now this is going to feel obvious, but 23 of the 24 players this week are ranked in the top 65 on Data Golf. And one of them is ranked 156. Yeah. And we don't have high expectations for the rest of Bob McIntyre's career. It's still a pretty young career. He has plenty of golf to be played ahead of him. But he is the pride of Scottish golf right now. And he didn't win the Scottish Open. He basically did in their eyes. He has not played well in majors. He has a chance to become a European golf absolute legend if he would play well and do something special in a Ryder Cup and really kind of change the trajectory of his career really more than anybody. Like I said, 23 of the 24 are ranked in the top 65, and one of them is not ranked in the top 150. And what did we just see happen in Spain? We saw Carolyn Headwall not play the first three sessions, be forced into playing the fourth session because it's literally a Solheim Cup rule that you have to play at least once before the Sunday singles. She goes out there and starts her front nine in the four ball session with five birdies. Uh, she flashes a little too brightly, fades that afternoon, but then comes out and wins the most important point in all of the Solheim Cup, flips it back toward Europe, lets Carlota Saganda win, and that makes Carolyn Hedwall an absolute Solheim Cup legend. And she might not do anything for the rest of her career. She's 34 years old. This was one, like, final peak for her. And um, that's one of the special things about this, these team events, these tournaments, is that you can have people flash and be remembered for it forever. That's a terrific point, Sean. And I just have one question for you now. Who wins Europe the wins Ryder Cup? 15 to 13 feels like it's going to be tight. Huh? The final putt will be made by Matt Fitzpatrick in the 10th match. I've got the USA, and I may still change my mind in the next two days. That's how sort of like torn up I am about this, but just in the interest of giving the Zonies a little something to chew on right now at this moment, I just looked down that squad and I look at those matchups that you're going to have, and the golf course feels like a little bit of a crapshoot, so it just feels like all other things being equal, this is going to just come down to the side that's a little bit better at golf, and I think the U.S. is, is that. Mm, it never comes down to the side that's just a little bit better at golf. Too much chaos, too much randomness, volatility. God, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, I'm really excited to watch it. Uh, yeah, do you have anything, any, anyone that you think is going to lead each squad? Like any just predictions you think? We, we already said Justin Thomas yeah, tipped him as, no. I mean, he's, Xander he's is always a guy that I, I look to in these positions. Oh, yeah. So, uh, no, JT will play well, and him and, and Jordan, uh, who are members of the American Ryder Cup committee, they help decide things, they help make choices on, uh, 
many, many different things that could impact the future and current status of the American Ryder Cup team. They're going to reassert themselves. That's right. That's why we got involved with this thing years ago. It's Justin and Jordan. They're both be future captains, and they're going to earn it by, I guess, leading the team now that they're both in their 30s. I really like your nod to Shane Lowry, and I think the fact that he's probably going to do some, uh, he's probably going to play with Rory a few times. Love so if it. you're looking at the like, Irishman. if you're looking at some value, I know last week we we fed you Megan Kang as the uh, oops leading points getter help? for Team USA. Hopefully, I'm sure you guys all did really invest. Um, in my in my mind. The scrambling aspect of this golf course that does feed pretty well into uh, Tommy Fleetwood for the European side, and then JT and Scotty Scheffler on the uh, on the American side. And also, Rory, really good around the greens, just underrated chipper of the golf ball. These guys are all pretty good, Sean. They are all good, despite your shot at Bobby McIntyre. He would be the outlier, uh, but still quite good at golf. All right. All right. Enjoy the show, gang. Enjoy the show. We'll talk to you when it's We're done. off to find like a whatever tasty. They, they've got some kind of like chicken parm cooking in the media center here. Um, thanks for listening. It's going to be an awesome week. Readgolf.com. Love you. See you soon. <laughs>